This is William Tincup. I'm from Recruiting Daily, and we are broadcasting live from Vegas, Sherm 23. And I heard just a second ago that there are 23,000 people here. Wow. I don't know if you've heard anything different, but wow. that's a lot of people. Lauren, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself? Yeah, so my name's Lauren Epstein, and I had spent a couple of decades in talent acquisition. Yep. And I also, for the last 30 years, I did a lot of adult experiential education developing workshops for people from, to do that kind of work. And about seven or eight years ago, I had developed a workshop on mitigating unconscious bias. I think I remember you telling me about this at a conference or even in D.C. Maybe. Like right around the time when you first created it. Yeah. Wow. And okay. then and it was like I was just doing it for free as like yeah. a side thing. Not, yeah. It was just... And then at the beginning of 2020, 2020, one of my old college professors suggested that I share that workshop at an experiential learning conference in Philadelphia to get some feedback because I wanted to make it better. Right. So I applied and it got accepted, but I also applied to grad school to get a master's in OD. Right. And I got into that too. And so there was a conflict. It was on the same day, one of my classes, and my teacher says, look, you can't you can't go to the conference, but you can come to class and do the workshop for the class. They'll give you feedback. <laughs> That's what we were going to do. And it was going to be at school, but then COVID happened and they had advertised it. And so instead we had it on Zoom. And like I set up a little studio where I stacked like literally a hundred books in the middle of the room so I could put my laptop on top. <laughs> and, and I did the workshop and it was awesome. There's 140 people from all around the world and my avocation became my profession and then I just started doing them. And so the last three years I've been doing these workshops. I've got like 20 workshops and other studies I do. And it's been great because I love doing that. I love being with people. That's and what, that's uh, what made you so good at recruiting. Probably. Yeah. So the latest is that, that I got my master's in organizational development. Okay. I got accepted to study cognitive neuroscience at George Mason. And I got a $5,000 scholarship from the foundation, the Sherman Foundation, very excited about that. Wow. And I did a study on the impact of bias in the workplace in 2021, and I released that. And I, today, this morning at 7.30, I released the results from the 2023 bias impact study. Give us a little of the highlights. You're interested. For those that weren't there. Yeah. Okay. There are some highlights. Yes, the highlights. Give us the highlights. So we had about 504 respondents from around the world, and we're still collecting data. Right. About 75% were women, 25% men, which is a, not a good thing about our survey. We're going right, to try and correct right. that. Generation, generations, age-wise, we were right on par with baby boomers, but we only have 6% of the possible 20% of Gen Xers. That was our worst. Z's. I'm sorry, Z's. Yeah. The youngest folks. Yeah, 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 yeah. But what we noticed, and we focused on just a few things because we only had an hour, was really around psychological safety and communication. So out of all the things that bias impacts the most is communication in the workplace. Most. Oh, wow. Most. And the because second the, most... Is it the expectations of communication? Like some of the different generation or different or cohort of people, they expect communication in a different way? Good question. So we didn't. what we asked then is a subset question. So one of those questions was, for example, talking to remote teams. Mm. So guess who had the least impact in talking to remote teams between employees, managers, and executives. Oh, executives. 
You're kidding. Managers by 30%. Because they were exhausted? And No, they, they were always working. Like for them, communication with these remote teams has been working. Right. Employees was next at about 40%. And the people had the worst time? Executives. Executives. Yeah, I can see that actually. And so Because it's still some of that command and control mentality. Exactly. I want to see you working. Right. To know that you're working. That may be driving the push to work from back in the office. 100%. If the executives knew that the managers were actually not having that hard a time, they Why would they like, change it? Exactly. Why would they change it? Especially if you've got managers and employees, two of the most important groups, one would say. Yeah. I think it's still a holdover from the military, industrial complex, command and control, things like that. But those folks are dying out. And it's sad that it has to go that way, but also it's sad that we had to have a pandemic to then get us this for forward in HR. Right. Right? Right. Like we we were gonna get to remote work. Right. It was just going to take another 30 years. Yeah. So in 1999, I worked at Bell Atlantic in, in Arlington. And there was a project manager. And I was like, hey, let's get the company to do remote work. Because there was like a dozen people doing remote work. Nobody wanted to do it. The people wanted to do it, but the managers Oh, no. And it was all available. Like, everything was oh, yeah. there. Oh, yeah. Can't trust it. Yeah. Can't trust that the person is actually, what if they're not working? Yeah. What if they're not exactly. working? Exactly. Well, let me ask you. because well, Can I say some more? Oh, yeah, yeah, So yeah. the second one was yeah. psychological safety. Yeah. So psychological, and we defined these. So psychological safety in this context was that people didn't, like, how, how does bias impact how you feel about challenging the system, challenging right. other ideas? And uh, everyone has it. Everyone has it. But it's really a function of position. Yep. So position and power are an impact to psychological safety. 100%. I can see that. And the other thing is we compared like genders. Even if it's just the perception of that, yeah. maybe not the reality, but even if it's just the perception of that can make someone th throw them into a dark space. Executives were 66% less likely to experience a problem with psychological safety as their, as their people. Right. Who were about the same. Yeah. Managers and employees were like a 58%. Isn't that wild? That is crazy. That is crazy. And then the other thing was interesting is that we compared genders and ethnicities to see is there an impact of psychological safety based on those factors right and there wasn't people or people you would think that women yeah, might be more connected or that yeah. certain different any of the cliches that we've been taught exactly so an assertion that we're making is that solutions to this really need to be about the entire organization everyone experiences this right and uh, yeah so it was really exciting so the report's out it's on a hidden page on my website but if people get the 2021, they'll get the 2023. Oh, cool. So, so you want to do it every two years? Update I want to do data? it more. So, I, so here's the goal. So we asked people what the problem was, but we also asked them, what are they doing to solve it? Yeah. So what areas are you mostly fixing on? And they're focusing on communication and a few others. But how much money they're spending. Right. And a lot of them, over 80% are spending some money. That's good. That's good because you're not going to fix the problem unless you spend money. Exactly. And then we asked them, what was what solution did you implement? And then I oh, did no, inter extensive interviews with those people and we're creating change management cases that we're going to make available for free to anyone. So we'll have an encyclopedia of changes that organizations are doing with efficacy that people can just download. Oh, I love that. So that's the goal that. to do it like every, like the candy. Right. I want to do for the candy award, this for the candy. We want to get sponsors because right. it's time consuming oh, and yeah. it's oh, not yeah. a money thing. So, yeah. I love it. Let me ask you a couple of screening questions. One is around global. You deal with a lot of practitioners, right? When you were a former recovering recruiter. Also. <laughs> so, 
What was your take back then and even now on just how do you screen somebody in Vietnam or in Singapore? Or what's your approach to that? Oh, that's a great question. So I think the, I would ask more questions like, so who in Vietnam? Yep. For what position? Yep. And can I get someone who is Vietnamese to do it? Oh, that's interesting. Right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, one for culture and two for language. Right. And so those that would be what I would do. Oh, I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Because it makes it culturally rel- relevant. So, yeah. again, it's like you're not trying to... Because a lot of what we see is American companies want to just basically replicate what we do in America in another country. Yeah, yeah. It's, we grew up with background screens, right. background checks, so it's totally normal. Yeah. Like in India, yeah, people have names that are so long, right? Nobody, and they don't always use the same name, right? In Latin America, they have longer names as well because they take on some right? of the surnames yeah. of their mother or father, etc. So, like their names can be really long, and they only go by Javier Hernandez, right? But then in between there, there's six other names, right? I can see that being challenging as well. You mentioned the candidate experience. So I want to get your take on. I've learned a lot recently about how candidates want things to move fast, right? Three weeks fast. Yeah. From the moment that they show attention, apply, whatever the bid is, they want it wrapped up and offer letter three weeks. Yeah. So let's go back to your recruiting days. And would that gel with what you did back then? And then the second part of that is, where does screening, because screening's like assessments and skills testing and some of these other things which are great, but they're also seen as kind of impediments to speed. Right. Because you got to communicate of what you're going to do, and then they've got to take time and go do it. They're going to do a behavioral assessment. Okay, there's an hour. Yeah. And if they're thinking that this whole process is going to take two weeks or whatever, how do we get speed yeah. and quality yet still do something as important as background checks? Got it. So on the fourth day, I was leading talent acquisition for a global software company. On the fourth day, the CEO said, I want you to hire recruiters in India. <laughs> and I never hired recruiters in India. Yeah. So I spent a month interviewing about 150 recruiters on, on, on the Skype. Right. It wasn't even Zoom. And I had my 15. So the next month, I go to India. And me and two other vice presidents, those two vice presidents were from India. I brought my 15 down selects to one city on a Saturday. I brought them all into a room. And I told them what we're going to do. And I had them start talking in pairs for about five minutes. Right. So what are the key skills of a recruiter? you got to be able to talk and, and you got to be able to listen. Exactly. Yeah. So they don't know what's going to happen. So right. I had them one at a time stand up and tell us about the person they just talked to. Genius. So one, I could see how they communicate. Right. And I could see how they listen. Right. So check, right? And we were scoring them right. on that. And when we told them what we were doing, the ones that were really excited totally showed up. Right. Because they want to show off. Then I had them write job descriptions and then I had them do some recruiting. That was the best team of recruiters I ever hired. And it was like, you know how, you know, when the wheat and the chafe separate? Yeah, it yeah. just happened so easily. Yeah, it did not take very long. You didn't have to tell them. They just opted out. Exactly. Right. In fact, the ones that came late, they were not, you know, the ones that came early, these were the, those were the guys we hired. Yeah. And gals. We hired them. Yeah. So I think that's, so I call that experiential interviewing. Right. To create some demonstrable thing for someone to do that you can measure. And that's it. And to use scorecards. And it's quick. So for the speed thing you were talking about, I think small iterations where it's like ping pong. Right. Where you looked at my job description, you applied. Right. I looked at your resume. I give you like a couple of questions. You send me the questions, then I call you. Right. Right. But you do that. So small bites. Yeah, yeah. Not these and, long. But they're faster. Faster. And right? over small. text exactly. or something like WhatsApp, whatever. And so that agile like kind that. of 
quick iteration and then you can see. And then what's really important is that it's gotta be a feedback loop. So a year, two years down the road, who do we hire? What were their interview results? Let's correlate that so right. that we know how to improve our interview. And we don't do that in our culture. Well, we also, if we tie that to performance, yeah. we know who the performers were. We could go back to source of that's hire. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. You just like, who did well? How was their interview? What did we ask? And so now you can iterate the questions. It's like you get in your car and you're looking at the speedometer. You don't wait six months to change the speed. Right. It's instantaneous. Yeah. It's genius. Brother, I love what you're doing. Thanks. I appreciate you coming by. I know yeah. you're busy. Oh, I want to say something else. Can yeah. I? Yeah. Cool. So my main focus is on cognitive neuroscience and creating, supporting people and having cognitive flexibility. Right. Change is happening faster and faster. We're the same age. Yep. It's so fast. Can't keep up. So how can we relate to, through our brain, through our cognition, in a way that allows us to absorb? So that's like the next, in my research work. I feel a book coming on. I feel a book. Do you? I do. I feel a book coming on. So how about you? What's, what have you been up to? Because I know the people listening, maybe you want to know, so I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. What did a candidate say to you that made the biggest impact on your career? I would say, this is years ago, but I would say a candidate that asked me how I got to the place I got and what I would change. So it made me think, like my favorite interview question is, we're all misunderstood, how are you misunderstood? Because it's just kind of, I want to see how they think. But this one got me to think in the sense of, okay, my career progression makes sense in the rear view, didn't make sense in the windshield because I went from an arts degree actually working at Walmart for six years, arts degree, master's degree in Indian studies, bunch of internships at Smithsonian, MBA, startup, and then on from there. Like, none of it makes sense. Now, it makes sense to me, because I can look backwards and go, yeah, of course, it makes sense. But their question was probing about it, is it got me to think about, mis not mistakes, but basically where I took the left and didn't take the right. Like, what would be different there? And so... I liked it because it got me to think about all the different kind of, if you're doing decision trees, all the different places where I could have made a different decision. And so I thought it was really thoughtful. And it made me think about myself, which made me also think about them. Great question. And last question, what sustains you? Uh, what like, sustains Like nourishes you in this practice? To, I'll tell you what nourishes me is conversations, podcasts. Because I podcast probably five, six times a day. Really? Yeah. Wow. So what I enjoy about it is I, it's, I basically use it as continuing education. Right. So I'm having a podcast with someone, but really what I'm doing is I'm learning. Secretly, I'm learning from them about things that they're doing instead of going to class or instead of going to sessions and reading books and some other stuff. But that's what sustains me. It's a podcast, talking yeah. to people and listening. Yeah, you're a good listener. I try to be. I will contextualize your listening. So my experience of your listening is that you are not talking in your head when right. you're listening. Right. And that's really Hard. important. Very difficult. Very, especially with me, ADHD, things like that. I think my mind's just spinning. Brother, this has been fantastic. Yeah. Congratulations you. on your session today, by Thanks. the way. Yeah. Not easy to do. Yeah. I got one tomorrow on removing bias from job descriptions. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Brother, thank you for coming thank by. Thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, man. See?